Hear me okay? Good. Well, good morning. What a, and happy Easter. Happy Easter. What a, what a good, good morning this is. We celebrate uh, the death of death. Jesus risen. We give thanks and praise for the greatest and the most important weekend there's ever been for humanity. Amen. And if you're here for the hundredth time or for the very first time, you are most, most welcome. It's great to see you. But I want to start by taking you back to 1991. It's August 1991, and I am on a holiday in Abbasock. And if you don't know where Abbasock is, Abbasock is, <coughs> excuse me, it's in North Wales. And I'm an eight-year-old boy, and I'm a typical eight-year-old boy, I think. And I'm doing what I absolutely love to do, which is to dig holes. <laughs> dig lots and lots of holes. But this particular afternoon in August 1991, something's wrong. Even I, as an eight-year-old boy, a fairly self-absorbed eight-year-old boy, can work out something's wrong. Because I look at, up out of my hole, and I can see that my mother is crying. And my, my mum didn't cry that often. And my dad looked very worried. And my dad doesn't get worried that often. So I climbed out of my hole, and I went over to investigate, and I quickly worked out what the problem was. The problem was, was that my two-year-old brother had disappeared. He had gone. And two minutes turned into five minutes. Five minutes turned into ten minutes. And ten minutes is a long time to be lost on a beach. And I just remember holding his tiny little shoes and sobbing. And I'm talking snot and dribble, sobbing. And I remember thinking, and this is one of my most vivid memories, am I ever going to see my little brother again? Will he be found? And so this morning, I invite you to join me to see what the Word of God and the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us, to you, as we look to find the heart of God for us and for every human being on this planet. And we're going to look at four encounters, four encounters over the Easter weekend and beyond that Jesus had, where people in various forms were lost but ultimately found. And we're going to start with, with Good Friday. If you have a Bible and you'd like to, to follow, they will be up on the screen, so don't worry too much. But we're going to be starting in Luke 23, 32 to 43. And where we start our story on Good Friday is Jesus being crucified alongside two others. So let's read. So it says, Two other men, both criminals, thieves, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. And said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, 
Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know if you've ever had the question or, or, or that conversation about heaven. You know, who you want to see when you get to heaven? Oh, I want to see Paul, or I want to see Moses, or a family relative. That's probably quite a common one. Or, I don't know, a Hudson Taylor, who was a, who was a missionary to China. Do you know who I want to speak to? I want to speak to that criminal. Because I want to know what happened. Because the Gospel of Matthew tells us that both criminals initially insulted Jesus. But, but something happened. And all I can really conclude is that he must have heard about Jesus. Maybe it was Palm Sunday, the week before, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king. Maybe he'd heard about his teaching miracles. And maybe whilst lingering on the cross next to him, observing him, hearing what he had to say, there was a dramatic change of heart and trajectory. He put his faith in Jesus and not in his previous status or identity. And I just want to say that word linger is going to be used quite a lot today. Uh, last week, Mez brought a word about lingering. And I smiled because over the last three or four weeks, as I've been mulling over this and thinking what to bring, that word linger has been at the forefront of my mind. So let's be grateful that God is speaking. But going back to that thief, we go on to read that he died. And actually, he died very quickly because his legs were broken. And he wouldn't have been able to lift himself up to breathe. Remember, crucifixion was just, was just terrible. But it also tells us he was saved. Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. And I just want you to imagine the scene. Imagine's important here. Don't take this literally. Imagine this. And this is how I have sometimes imagined this. Because that guy dies, that thief dies. And maybe he's at the gates of heaven. And maybe... An angel is there, or someone's there, and they might ask him that question. How did you get here? And that guy responds, perhaps, not sure really. Don't know. And maybe there's some toing and froing between this angel and this thief. That was his old status anyway. And finally, they get to this question. The angel says, On what basis are you? Here, he said, the man on the cross said, that's all he can say. He couldn't answer in the first person, could he? He couldn't say, because I did this, I did that, I lived a good life, he hadn't lived a good life. Ultimately, none of us live a good life. It's what he said. He said what Jesus says. And by its nature, grace is always in the third person. It's what Jesus has done for you. Perhaps you thought you could save yourself in this life. I, I just don't think you can. But it's so easy to think like this. And, and friends, this morning, this is the gospel. I just want to remind you of this on Easter morning. It's what's been done for us. It's but what the man on the cross did for you. Because that man on the cross, Jesus, he says the same thing over you today. Now, there's a dad who wants to teach his son right from wrong. He gets a block of wood. Every time his son does something wrong... The dad knocks a nail into the piece of wood. However, when his son improves and changes, he removes a nail. And actually, this is how a lot of people think about the Christian faith, don't they? It's about removing nails, as it were. The problem, though, is that the holes remain in the wood, even when we've removed the nails. And we can't fix our relationship with God by anything that we do. Why? Because the holes just go too deep. 
And the fundamental, the fundamental problem that this, that this thief, this criminal, understood just in time is this problem of sin, the stuff that separates us from God. He also understood, as we need to do, that we are powerless to save ourselves. But the good news is, and I want to remind you of this today, is that God loves you. He loves us and he makes a way for us by paying the penalty himself upon the cross. You know, Jesus drank the darkness of our lives. He drank the darkness of our lives, all of our sin to the dregs. He took all our sins upon himself. And on this day, on this day we celebrate that then Jesus, the author of life, he proved it by rising from death so none might be lost but found in him. Mez, who's my wife uh, and I, we went to an escape room for her birthday last month. And in retrospect, this was quite a risky thing to do. Two fairly strong-willed personalities trapped in a room working together to try and get out. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we did get out with nine seconds to spare. A miracle in itself. And actually, our relationship, our marriage is all the better for it. Yeah, well done us. But you know, early on in that escape room, we were seriously lost. We were really lost. There was this complicated and messy maths problem that looked a little bit like that on this blackboard. And we just couldn't work it out. We couldn't decipher it. And I just thought, do you know what's so interesting that life is so often like this? It's complicated and messy. Sin makes us complicated and messy, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense. But you know, finally, Finally, just like that thief on the cross, we had the wisdom to ask for some help. And we were given a clue by a voice over a speaker. <laughs> and then we suddenly saw it. And within the word, sorry, within the problem, that mass problem was a word, and it was in circles, but we hadn't seen it. E-R-A-S-E. Arrays. And then we wiped it clean as quickly as we could. And that's just what Jesus does. He, he cleans the slate. And suddenly things made sense. Because what emerged then on the blackboard were these words that said, knock slowly. And I thought, wow, this is a great illustration for a preach. <laughs> it said, knock slowly. And I thought, wow, this is what we do. This is what Jesus asked us to do. Knock and the door will be open to you. Do you know, I wonder if you're seeking Jesus today, what you're going to do about it. Let me encourage you to linger longer, seek further, knock slowly. Do you know, the last thing that thief did was he put his faith in Jesus. Do you know, at that point, he had more faith in Jesus than his disciples did. His disciples had run off. And I just want to remind you this morning that faith is nothing in and of itself. I'm just going to say that again. Faith is nothing in and of itself. Faith has to be placed in something or someone. Does that make sense? And these two criminals, they're always going to represent choice to me and hopefully to you as well. Choice about as to what we put our faith in. Ultimately, we have to make a decision because either this happened or it didn't. And you really need to look into this very carefully because this is the biggest question in life. But that's our first encounter. Our second encounter is about a lingering experience of Jesus that clearly did not go away. And we continued the story. 
So this next encounter is taken from John 19, 38 to 42, and Jesus has been crucified. The Roman soldiers have made absolutely sure that Jesus is dead. They're experts at this. And we pick up the story where Jesus is taken down from the cross and his body is looked after. And it says this, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. That's significant. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. That's 34 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Our second encounter is the one that Nicodemus has. Let me tell you about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an elite Jewish religious leader. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's incredibly wealthy, he's bright, and he's powerful. He's from a ruling family. And his status and his identity, they're all wrapped up in that stuff. Yet here he is. He's witnessed Jesus die a criminal's death, but he's burying Jesus as a king. 34 kilograms of myrrh and aloes. That's literally an amount fit for a king. And you know what? I love that we see life in death here. It takes Jesus for, to die for Nicodemus to reveal his allegiance, to come truly alive and to be found. But let's just wait a minute because Nicodemus has met Jesus before. And in fact, the text tells us that. It says the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. At night? Why has he visited Jesus at night earlier on? Well, remember, he's got a position and status to uphold. He doesn't want to be seen. He's afraid of what others will think and say. But he's searching, isn't he? He's searching for meaning because he comes at night to ask him some questions. He asks him, basically, who are you? What are you? Why are you? And Jesus reveals to him some really profound truths, which he clearly struggles with initially. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, what? How can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus says, you need to be born of the Spirit. And Jesus says, you know, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand it. And then this encounter kind of ends fairly abruptly and we're left, what happens to this guy, Nicodemus? But then we get the answer. We get the answer here. And again, we've seen this truly dramatic and genuine change. It's incredible. Nicodemus has lingered. He's allowed God to speak to him, to challenge and correct his path, to lift his head up and to be found. I was once in Wales. You can tell this is where we went on family holidays quite a lot. And I was about 12 years old. And I was navigating for my dad. Do you remember those things called maps? Those physical things that you would open and you would work out where you were going. And you weren't ruled by a little blue dot. And I was map reading. I think we were going to some theme park or, or other. And I'd, <laughs> I drifted off. I'd completely lost concentration. I was daydreaming. 
And suddenly I hear a voice, where are we? Where am I going? And my head was down. And I just remember thinking, someone told me this advice, if in doubt, straight on. If in doubt, straight on. So I just, I just said, uh, straight on, Dad, straight on. And to make a point, he drove straight on into a field. <laughs> we were at a T-junction. But you know, I wonder if this can be you. I wonder if this can be you. Head down in a life that seems pretty, un- pretty comfortable or not. But when certain big questions are asked... Where are you? Why are you? What are you? Do you plow on? Or do you look up? Where do you get meaning for life from? And what do you put your hope and identity in? How strong are those foundations? Do you know, these are big questions and answers that Nicodemus must have lingered on. <coughs> he must have lingered on. And if we go back to Abbasalt Beach, do you know, at some point my brother would have looked up and realized that he was lost. He would have looked around and not recognized anyone. He would have recognized that he was missing his parents, his father, his mother. And perhaps he wouldn't have realized that we were looking for him. I don't know. But the fact is, we were. And God is looking for you. John writes, straight after that encounter with Nicodemus, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He wants all to be found. And like the thief, Nicodemus ultimately acknowledged that he was lost without Jesus. And I think there's a lot that reveals this. Firstly, in this passage, Nicodemus is acting in the daytime now. That's really significant. In other words, he's a secret believer no more. In the act of burying Jesus, he effectively renounces his position. Remember how powerful his position is, his power, his prestige, his influence, his very identity. When we are born again, we renounce our old status and we take on the new. Nicodemus was undoubtedly born into the good stuff of life. Yet lingering with Jesus and on the words of Jesus, he was changed. And you know, I find that burial gift so powerful. It's beautiful. Because that burial gift was an outward expression of the inner workings of his heart. It feels like a gesture really similar to baptism here. Do you see that? In other words, Jesus means more to him than his reputation or what people think. And this is a guy who's got so much to lose. But you know, the story doesn't end there, even though we think it probably does. There's a book, an ancient book called the Babylonian Talmud. And it features the names of key Jewish elite people who believed in Jesus and were sentenced to death. And there are some very good historians who argue that his name, Nicodemus, is on that list. In other words, Nicodemus most likely died for his faith in Jesus. But I suppose if death is defeated, then the trappings of this earthly life, they don't grip us as tightly, do they? And I wonder if there are a few secret believers here today. Will you be a secret believer no more? And baptism, baptism is an outward expression of faith. It's an outward expression of inward reality. The inward reality is a clean slate. The the inward reality is that the holes in that wooden block are covered by grace and forgiveness. Do you know there are some baptism service 
services coming up in this church. And if what I've said strikes a chord, in other words, if you're feeling a slight sense of discomfort or courage, or even both, that's how I felt before I was baptized, then I'm going to suggest that God might be prompting you and talking to you. So let me encourage you to linger on the life of Nicodemus, a secret believer no more. And for those of us who are Christians here today, we need to be really challenged by Nicodemus. Because an encounter with Jesus should not lead us to play that game sardines. You know the game sardines? Where basically you end up in a tiny little space in the house somewhere, and you're all saying things like, shh, 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 shh. We're really quiet. They'll walk past us. They won't find us. (laughs) An encounter with Jesus leads us to be like Nicodemus, a secret believer no more. An encounter with Jesus leads us to say, my Lord and my God, which leads us to our third encounter. We carry on the story. Jesus is resurrected, and he's been seen by many disciples, but not all. For most of them, fear has turned to great joy. But a week later, Thomas, one of his disciples, has not yet seen Jesus and is full of doubt. So we now pick up the story in John 20, 24 to 28. And it says this, it says, Now Thomas, known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know, I've always had time for Thomas. You know, doubts are a normal part of life and even faith. We've just done a lament series, which I think has really brought that out, that we can bring all these things to him. And I want us to see that Thomas is dealt with gently. You know, I believe that Jesus was glad that Thomas had lingered that he hadn't fled in fear, which I'm sure he was tempted to do. But he'd lingered enough. He'd lingered enough to find and see the truth, to have his doubts cast off. And what we see is a reciprocal reinstatement. Do you see that? Thomas reinstates Jesus, but it's now elevated and it's properly understood. My Lord and my God. And Jesus gently brings Thomas back from the periphery. And Jesus, as he does, he says right now, invites you to have a really, really good look, to reach out your hand, to find him. We can go to the next slide. I love this painting. It's a Caravaggio for those of you who like art. And it's depicting this scene. And what I really like about it 
is that Jesus is shown as guiding Thomas's hand. Can you see that? He gets his hand and he puts his hand in the marks. Those marks which are now still there, they're forever there. They're forever there just as our salvation is forever there. Our rightness with God is everlasting. When we ask for forgiveness and we put our trust in God. You know, I do sometimes wonder if the grief of losing Jesus was just too much for Thomas. Could he let himself, could he let himself dare hope that Jesus was alive? That death really had been defeated? Do you know, I don't know if you've ever faced death, a relative, a friend. And it's, no matter how strong our faith, we all experience the pain of love's untimely separation. The overriding feeling I had with my own mum's death was this is not how it's supposed to be. We've been interrupted. That's how I felt. We find ourselves waiting for the loved one's return, even though we know it cannot be. We feel the loneliness of this absence, and we even worry that our dead are lonely. That's a funny one, isn't it? And we endure the waiting for reunion, at times haunted by this doubting question. Is there really anything more than this void? And Easter Sunday says a loud, resounding yes. Yes, there is more. There is more. That feeling of being interrupted is accurate because we were originally meant to live uninterrupted in a perfect world, in perfect union with God. But sin crept in and it ruined stuff. But this weekend is all about the rescue mission to win us back. This is the message of Easter. God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. And through his resurrection, we are invited to belong to it and be reconciled with God. But death is still a hard topic, isn't it? But let me ask you some questions. Do you remember the first names of your great-grandparents? Do you know where they're buried? I don't. I'm getting a lot of blank faces as well. Sorry to break this to you. But in 100 years, maybe less, probably less, you're going to be forgotten. I'm going to be forgotten. And so will our successes. So will our failures. But the resurrection of Jesus, the death of death, means that we can place our trust in an eternity with him in a place where there are no tears, no pain. The former things will have passed away. In Revelation 21.5 it says, Behold, I am making all things new. This is Jesus talking. And then he says, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So who do you put your trust in today? What do you put your trust in? And let me remind you that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you can rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You can rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And the risen Jesus is all ours today. He's all ours today. He says, come and linger in my presence. And then he says, when this life is over, when it's done, come and be in my unbridled, perfect, holy and glorious presence forever. And Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus turns up and he saves Thomas from himself, actually. That's what he does. And our story is that we were lost, but we're now found. We are found in him. And so we move on to our final encounter. 
And actually, our final encounter, well, it's yours. It's your encounter. What does Easter Sunday and these encounters say to us? What does it say about your encounter or the encounter to come? Do you know, we had, we had an Easter egg hunt in our garden last week. And our children and some of the children were searching for lost eggs. Do you know, and I was struck as I've been struck by these three encounters that life is so much about searching. I'll be honest with you, I spent a miserable year searching as a student at university into these big questions. I can relate to the thief, I can relate to Nicodemus, I can relate to Thomas, but ultimately I came to the Easter weekend and realized I had to make a decision because I had become convinced that this happened. Just like what we see. Remember how this ends. We have fearful men and women, disciples, who are suddenly convinced. They go from playing sardines to go out and preaching, Jesus is risen. They're convinced. I'm convinced. The question is, what's your decision? And if you want to explore faith, then I'd really encourage you to come on the Alpha course that Dan mentioned. It's a great place for you just to come and reach out your hand and explore. And if these eggs, if these eggs represent the big questions about this thing we call life, then my search had led me to find no good reason not to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to say that again. My search had led me to find no good reason not to put all my eggs in one basket. What do these eggs represent? They represent a new status, identity that's not wrapped up in performance or your past, but what's been done for you. A hope beyond this life. That's the thief, isn't it? It means a hope and meaning, a meaning so great that we need not fear death. That's Nicodemus. It means a personal saviour who who says, reach out your hand and touch me. Who comes alongside our pain and doubts. That's Thomas. Do you know, I wonder today, I wonder if today is a day where you put all your eggs in one basket. I wonder if today is a day where you make Jesus the king of your life. Or you come out in support of Jesus in the light because the darkness isn't enough anymore. Or, if you want to reinstate him, the king of your life. Do you know, all three encounters, I don't know if you you recognize this, but did you see that all of them ended with an acknowledgement that Jesus was king? Did you see that? The thief, he acknowledges Jesus has a kingdom. Nicodemus buries him as a king. And Thomas, my Lord and my God, my king, that's what he's saying. Do you know, when my brother was found on that beach, what did he do? We found him. That's good, isn't it? Was he indifferent to my mum and my dad? Oh, it's you. No, 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 no. My brother grabbed hold of my mum all the tighter when he was found, because in that moment, he recognized he'd been lost. He wouldn't let go. He didn't want to let go. And when we found my brother, tears of sadness turned to tears of joy. 
So this morning, by faith, by faith we can touch Jesus. Jesus invites us to come and look, to reach out our hands, to put all our eggs in one basket. You know, that stone, that stone was rolled away so that we can look in, so that we can be found and that he can be found. Amen? I'm just going to invite Graham up. And I'm going to pray three simple prayers this morning. A chance for us to respond. Three simple prayers that represent the thief, that represent Nicodemus, that represent Thomas. So the first prayer is for anyone here who wants to invite Jesus into their hearts and lives. If today's a good day to do that. And I just want to say what Jesus says over you is the most important thing. What he says over you is more important than anything else. And what he says about you is that you're saved by grace. By what has been done for you on the cross. That the slate is clean. And if it helps, you might want to close your eyes. Less distractions that way sometimes. And if you're comfortable, you might want to open your hands. And all this is, it's just a gesture. It's a willingness to receive. It's just like receiving a gift. You just open your hands to take it. I'm just going to say a simple prayer, and then you can repeat it in your heart if you'd like to this morning. You can encounter Jesus today. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross. I believe you did this for me, for everything that I have done wrong, past, present, and future, so that I could be forgiven. I want to encounter you today as the risen Savior of my life. Thank you that you love me unconditionally and that your grace is enough for my life. Amen. This second prayer is for those of us who have been secret believers. We've been hiding away. And again, if it helps, put your hands out and repeat this in your heart. He said, Lord Jesus, I confess that I have at times been hiding my love for you in the darkness. You are the light of the world and you asked me to be a light in this world. Give me boldness and courage to help me be a secret believer no more. And help me do this with the right heart, which is always in the light of your great love for me and your saving grace. Amen. And the last prayer is for those of us who want to reinstate Jesus as King this morning. And we pray, Lord Jesus, on this most wonderful of days, I repent of my sins and ask you to take control of my life once again. When I put myself on the throne, I step back and let you take your rightful place. Thank you that you always reach out your hand to me. A hand of love, of grace, a hand of mercy and forgiveness. We pray all these things in your wonderful risen name. Amen.